2: Greetings, and welcome to What Happened to That Guy, a Ravens podcast about former players and life after football. I'm your host, John Eisenberg. Through the first six episodes, you've had no choice but to let me guide you through the stories I've told. By that, I mean you couldn't participate. You couldn't actually see Peter Bulware working at the Christian school he founded in Florida. You couldn't actually watch Chris Carr defend a client in immigration court. Well, that changes with this episode. My subject is Trevor Price, the hulking defensive lineman who spent five years with the Ravens near the end of his, honestly, very underrated 14-year NFL career. What's he doing now? Well, I'm going to tell you, and it's something. But this time, you don't have to rely on me. You can check out what he's doing yourself. All you need is a Netflix subscription. Just log on and type the word Kulapari in the search field. I'll spell it out for you. K-U-L-I-P-A-R-I. When the results come up, you'll see two animated shows. Kulipari, An Army of Frogs. And Kulipari, Dream Walker. It's two seasons worth of shows about, ready? Superhero frogs battling evil scorpions in the Australian outback. All told, it's 18 episodes. About 22 minutes each, so more than six hours of war and peace, love and loss, frogs and scorpions. Game of Thrones for kids, some people call it. It was an age
0: of war. The frog tribes were driven back into the lands
3: by the crushing attacks of the scorpions. The veil still protects us, for now. Nobody's born a hero, little warrior. But you can do anything if you try hard enough.
1: It's time for battle, not banter. Not the gooseberries!
3: We don't need warriors, Daryl.
1: The
0: veil keeps us safe. The kulapari died to keep us safe. Only the son of a fallen kulapari thinks our world still needs a warrior.
2: This is Trevor Price's life after football, his baby, Kulipari. He dreamed it up. He wrote a trilogy of books. He made the books into a TV show. He sold a TV show to Netflix. Check out the credits that run on screen at the start of each episode. Trevor Price, executive producer. Trevor Price, creator. Yep. It's the same Trevor Price, who played 14 years in the NFL, five with the Ravens, earned two Super Bowl rings, played in four Pro Bowls, piled up 93 and a half career sacks. That's right, 93 and a half. That puts him in the NFL's top 50 all-time in sacks. He was a great football player, and he's done a ton of stuff in life besides play football. Put out an album, run a record studio, Backed a music download service, written books, written for the New York Times, created a Netflix show. Now he's running a digital animation studio in Baltimore. He's 44 years old. I considered a lot of former Ravens as potential subjects for episodes of this podcast. Guys with great stories to tell. But I couldn't pass up Trevor. Honestly, this episode should be titled, What Hasn't Happened to That Guy? Trevor laughed at that idea when we spoke recently at the Under Armour Performance Center in Owings Mills. He lives in the Baltimore area with his family. Out of all of the former players, there's more than a 1,000 now, ex-Ravens. There's tens of thousands of ex-football players. Mm-hmm. Is anyone doing, anyone else doing what you're doing? No. Not even. I mean, you are. There's I a lot of lawyers, good. doctors, whatever. Lots of
3: that. You know, you know I'm no firefighter. <laughs> What do you mean? You're no I'm bo- just saying. I'm just, I'm just like, like people are doing more interesting things. <laughs> you no, know <what> I mean <laughs> <Yeah>. no, <laughs> I make, I mean, a, t- that's I make a TV sense. show for Netflix.
2: Once Netflix picks it up, mm-hmm. you you've got broad. You're getting. A little, I mean, broad around the world. <laughs> around <laughs> we had to, the world,
3: we had, to, we had to deliver it in 22 languages, so it's been seen around the world. Like Japan uh-huh. loves it.
2: Full disclosure: Trevor is no longer doing the show for Netflix. A story we'll get into. He's going down a different road with Kulapari now. As I mentioned, he's opened his own animation studio in Baltimore, OVFX, Outlook Visual Effects, on the campus of MICA, the Maryland Institute College of Art. He also recently opened a motion capture studio. It's a large space where he puts live actors in high-tech suits, films them against special screens, and turns the human action into animation. Amazing stuff. He's making a full-length Kulipari movie, basically as a DIY project, do-it-yourself, with help from the 20 or so animators he has hired as full-time employees in the past year. It's a path that has recast Trevor as a show business entrepreneur. He doesn't live in Hollywood, but he's deeply immersed in the business transacted there, the business of studios and agents and ideas and scripts and film and television and animation. Trevor has made the leap from football to that, and he was big-time successful in football, and now he's big-time successful in show business. He's got serious plans for expanding the animation business in Baltimore.
3: I am saying to people that what we are building is going to start an industry here from concrete that doesn't exist. The best animators that come out of art school are working at Grubhub, or or they can't afford to go to L.A. So what's happening now is. Disney and Netflix are coming here. They're not coming to Maryland, they're coming east. Whether or not they stop here is kind of up to me, right? If I can build something big enough, they'll stop. But I know all those people. So that's kind of my goal is to say, let me try. Let me see if I can build the same thing that Vancouver has or Toronto has or Australia has or Nigeria is currently building. Nigeria has staked all of their money on animation. The country's money on digital animation They're saying, we have nothing going on, but we have computers and we have people that want to learn. So they're training, and you can look it up, an army of animators. Nigeria. And I'm like, well, Nigeria can do it, and we can't do it in Maryland?
2: That cut from our conversation gives you an inkling of what it's like to chat with Trevor. You start out talking about animation, you end up talking about government investment in Nigeria. Chad O'Donnell, a Ravens production intern, sat with us while we spoke, checking the recording levels. Trevor couldn't quite believe snappy Ravens production pullover that Chad was wearing. Hey, hold you on, y'all,
3: the Ravens production, you have your own logo? <laughs> when, I, when I was here, they started getting into that kind of stuff. I'm mean, doing like logo design for things. So they did like the uh, patches with the muscle for if you made the off-season program. And it was like... A, like an emoji that they found somewhere. Like everything was so bad. It was undesigned. You could see it. The equipment managers did all the logos and stuff. Was like, that. So I look at that. That looks great. Here. Ten years ago, I'm talking about Ed, the equipment guy, did all, like, hey, we need a thing, and they'd slap some low-res thing he found <laughs> online. The world's changed, man.
2: I've interviewed people for a living for a long time, and with most of them I've learned you can pretty much control the conversation. That is, you can guide it where you want it to go. But then there are the people you can't control. They're smart, they're glib, they fly off in different directions, and you can't reel them back in. When I asked Trevor about his experience in the music business, he ended up telling me about a University of Michigan football teammate who was playing center for the Wolverines, but also enrolled in med school. Then we were talking about video, and somehow we got on to whether Trevor could play golf well enough to make the senior tour when he turns 50. He's had a million experiences, and he has a million thoughts, a million ideas, and they all come tumbling out in conversation. Sometimes it's almost like a car radio on scan. When I told Ravens president Dick Cass that I was doing a podcast episode on Trevor, Dick said, that is one smart guy right there. And that is high praise, believe me. Turns out they'd spoken on the field before a recent Ravens game. Trevor was born in New York and grew up in Florida, the Orlando area. And when I say he grew up, I mean it literally. He topped out at 6 feet 6 and close to 300 pounds. Yet he was still nimble enough to excel in track as a hurdler, just a great athlete. His take on his football career is he didn't choose the sport so much as it chose him.
3: The right, way I felt was if I did not play the game at a very high level, I was wasting the gift I was given natural selection is a real thing if you don't do it then they should have selected somebody else so i knew i had to play i knew i was gonna play at a high level and it wasn't a question of did i love football or not that really didn't mean anything whether i loved it or not really had nothing to do with the equation i knew i had to play and i knew and i knew i was gonna play at a high level because i was just different than everybody else at least in my neighborhood and i'm from florida where a lot of people are like this
2: he started his college career at michigan transferred to Clemson, and turned pro after his junior season. The Denver Broncos took him in the first round of the 1997 draft, a few hours after the Ravens took Peter Boulware. Trevor went number 28 overall, and he was an immediate hit. In 1998, his second season, he had eight and a half sacks, and the Broncos won the Super Bowl. A year later, he had 13 and a half sacks, and the Broncos won another Super Bowl. That year, he made all pro and began a run of four straight Pro Bowl appearances. Nice early career, huh? Trevor was big, fast, dominant. Fans cheered for him. The sports world marveled at him. But there was another side to him that the public didn't
3: see and knew little about. With me, it was, I, I always had a creative spirit about me. The football was good for you know, natural selection. You know what I mean? So you kind like, of have to do it. But... The, the creative stuff, everybody knew I made music and I ran a record company and whatnot. And then I started writing and you know, storytelling has always been something natural for me.
2: One question I've asked all the former Ravens for this podcast is, at what point in your career did you start thinking about life after football? What you might want to do? If you've listened, you know the answer. Some started thinking about it when they were still playing. Some didn't think about it at all. Trevor is in his own category. He was immersed in the entertainment business long before his football career ended.
3: Being an athlete, when you have an offseason, you have a chance. You're wealthy, <laughs> you know what I mean? And you have a chance to explore every facet of your mind for five to six months. And then you go back to work. I remember Neil Smith told me a long time ago, I'd play for the Chiefs, Hall of, should be in the Hall of Fame. He said, don't burn the candle on both ends. When you're playing football, you play football. When you're doing the other thing, do the other thing. He said, never try to do both at the same time. So my life rotated in six-month turns. He started
2: out making music. Then he started a record company.
3: During the summer, I'd put out stuff and see what what worked. The problem is my taste is pretty unique in that sense. I was signing punk bands because I love that stuff. I realized very quickly, if you're going to sign a rapper, if you're going to try to put out a rap record, better be good or you will be laughed at very quickly and i signed a band called daphne loves derby that actually did okay i put out a record for brian lacrosse like at the same time me and these guys that i kind of met in denver we started a first music download service it was called beatport it was right before apple i mean they came to me and said hey you want to be a part of this thing where we're going to sell digital downloads of dance music. And I was like, that's not going to work. <laughs> so I became partners in an ad agency as well. And so you kind of start doing random stuff. My life has always been a series of saying yes to every question I'm asked. Hey, do you want to go? to? Yes. Do you want to go meet? Yep. Do you want to go try to? Yep. And you wind up in these weird circles and you wind up seeing things and doing stuff.
2: Of all the stuff he experienced, he felt most at home as a writer. That's not easy when you're a family man, which he was by then, married with three young kids. Finding time to write was a challenge.
3: One of my most grave times was Saturday night before the games because I got out of the house. You know, you go to the hotel and by yourself and just kind of like jot stuff down and whatnot. Again, when it was time to go to practice, I was a football player. I wasn't a writer who could play football. I was just a football player. But when it gained time to go write, I was not a football player who wrote. I was a writer or a creator. After nine years with the Broncos,
2: he became a free agent and signed with the Ravens in 2006. It was a marquee signing, a big deal. That year, he started on a defense with unbelievable star power. Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Terrell Suggs, Haloti Nada. Baltimore went 13-3 before losing to the Colts in the playoffs. Trevor had 13 sacks. Rex Ryan was the defensive coordinator. Brian Billick was the head coach. I spoke to Brian. Do you have any good Trevor Price stories?
0: (laughs) Trevor was one of those guys that had a lot bigger world than football. Was a guy that was a brilliant performer, but in a little bit different way. He was a bit of a renaissance man. And uh, kind of was going to do things his way. Came to us as a veteran, and I was very much one to embrace. Okay, so you're not going to lift your defensive line. You're not going to lift, and you're just going to do this jump rope routine. Okay, well, let's see how that works. And and he was able to deliver on it. So uh, yeah, uh, definitely a different a different type in the NFL. Do you know what he's doing? I can't. He's either writing children's books or he's doing some kind of uh, movie deal or
2: all of the above. Yeah. He wrote a children's book about superhero frogs that, uh, yeah. in Australia. Yeah. Netflix picked it up.
0: I want you to think about this, and this is, just, this is one of the things I love about the game. Imagine that defensive line room and the conversations between guys like Tony Saragusa and Sam Adams and Trevor Price and Michael Bulwer and Michael McCrary. I think Terrell was with us. That's a very eclectic room. Can you imagine those conversations, Terrell going, bro, man, what? Yeah, you, it's a frog. You, what does this frog do, man? I mean, that had to be an interesting room. But throw in uh, Ryan on top of it as their coach. because oh, the, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I should have spent more time there just listening to those conversations.
2: Trevor played for the Ravens through the 2009 season and into 2010. That ended up being his last year in the NFL. He was 35 and still playing pretty
3: well. But he'd had enough. Patriots tried to sign me out of retirement. And the and the Raiders tried to sign me. The Raiders brought me out for a workout. The Patriots brought me out for a workout, and I was like, I can't. Like They were like, hey, you're playing Sunday. I was like, no, I'm not. And I left. I left both facilities. I was supposed to play that Sunday out of retirement. And I was, it's not the football. It is the grind. Anybody would tell you. Ray Lewis would tell you. Ed would tell you. If I could show up on Monday and Sunday, I could, pl- I could play till I was 50. But you have to practice on Wednesday. And it's not even the practice. The practice is kind of quite fine. But it's the sitting around and the watching of the film and just the I don't want to be here right now. And I to get off your feet. So that's why I retired. I didn't retire because I couldn't play. I just I refuse to go to practice during the week. And you kind of have to go.
2: When he was done, he wrote for the New York Times, some blog posts about football, a wonderful essay about how much he missed playing. His pieces are all archived online. You can find them. As personable as he was, a transition into broadcasting seemed inevitable, and he dabbled in it, but he didn't think he was very good at it. And besides, ESPN wanted him for football commentary, and Trevor being Trevor, he wanted to cover tennis. It wasn't entirely clear what he would do, until the idea for Kulipari suddenly appeared in his head one day while he was watching television.
3: I remember it to the day it appeared in my my old house in Denver. I was watching Planet Earth on BBC, and I was fascinated by it because it was high def and it was the first time that type of thing had been made. It was almost shook me to the core a little bit. It was so great, right? But it was a shot where a, frog, a tree frog had jumped from tree to tree, and they shoot it in such high frame rate. It shot at like 300 frames a second. So when you take a frog and it, that thing leaps, like a tree frog leaps real fast, and you slow it down in a a way and tilt the camera away, it looks like Superman. And I was like, well, that's interesting. But at that time, I was already kind of in Hollywood. I was already writing stuff and selling projects. So I saw that, and I was like, I'm going to do an animated show about frogs. Any writer kind of worth his salt will tell you, once you get that kernel, the rest of it kind of happens real quickly. Once I said frogs, then I said frogs and scorpions. Then I said frogs and scorpions Australia. And it just happened like almost like overnight. And I remember that saying that date. I was like, I have something here that's going to resonate for a long time. How he got Kulipari
2: from his mind to Netflix is a long and winding tale, a Hollywood tale. He wrote a treatment, which is a version of what he had in mind. Cartoon Network wanted him to make it into a show. A book agent wanted him to make it into books. Things didn't work out with the Cartoon Network, but the books were published, a trilogy. And meanwhile, he started making the show himself, putting his own money into it. Some people in Hollywood thought he was nuts.
3: I found an animation company because I didn't know how to animate, and I I can't even draw. So I found an animation company. We started working on it. I was like, I'm going to greenlight it and make it myself. We started making the show, and then we went out and pitched it. We pitched it to three companies. Netflix was one of them. As we walked in... The guy was like, I've read these. I know what these are. It's a good <laughs> so feeling. I was like, okay. And I think his son had told him, Dad, make this. So, they, so we made it. Needless to say,
2: partnering with Netflix was a major coup. Good for business. But the marriage had issues.
3: It became painfully obvious that once you're on Netflix, it can be a kiss of death. It's a gift and a curse. Because you're, it's been seen around the world. But then you talk to Disney about it, and they're like, well, you're on Netflix. We don't right. We don't want that. <laughs> you know what I mean? You've been seeing it like this has been exposed around the world, right? And then you go back to Netflix, and you're like, okay, do you want to make a third one? Yes, we'll make a third one, but on our terms. And I'm like, well, that's not a thing, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. What are my terms? So I decided to start my own animation studio because you wind up not really controlling it. Even though I wrote the scripts and I, I approve everything, you ship it all to Canada, and then the Canadian animation company sends you back. So you you wind up getting what you get, and you're just like, if I was standing there, this wouldn't look like this. <laughs> the second season is really good. It's really better than the first, I think, because it has more of my sense of violence in it. Not violence, but my sense of dread. Like the Game of Thrones thing, I don't watch Game of Thrones, but... A lot of people, when the first season came out, they called it Game of Thrones for kids because I do things to characters you're not supposed to do in a cartoon. And people are like, how would you, that's one of our favorite characters. I'm like, well, I'll make up another one. You know what I mean? So I decided to do it myself. The other thing I decided to do was I was going to direct, because I didn't direct any of the, the animated episodes on Netflix. I didn't direct them all because I was not in LA while they were being made. I was here. I was writing it and sending it back instead of being there in the studio every day and saying, no, move that character here, do that, I decided I was going to direct the live-action reboot. So we opened up a performance capture studio, a motion capture studio on Falls Road. And I'm directing now actors wearing motion capture suits that we slap onto the frogs and how the frogs move as people.
2: The, so that's it not, is rocket science. That is rocket science. Very much so. The Kulipari movie will be out in 2021. And as Trevor explained to me, what's special about doing it this way is he owns not only the Kulipari franchise, but also the process by which the movie is being made. He has control. And he's doing big things with that control.
3: My original intention was to capture the actors here, their bodies, and then replace their voices with Hollywood actors. So like Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker's and Kulipari. He did four voices in both seasons but the local actors were so good. Like theater actors were so good, I'm not replacing them. So I'm casting a movie, a worldwide feature film, I'm shooting it with local DMV actors and actresses.
2: Near the end of our conversation, I asked Trevor if football was ever on his mind.
3: Funny enough, it is. Every so often it is. Because Hollywood is really weird. I tell people all the time, I said, here's the way football works. If you're a quarterback and you can't throw the 10-yard out, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers aren't going to invite you back next year to see if you know how to do it. (laughs) You get one shot. You know what I mean? So I I give a lot of football analogies to people.
2: He readily acknowledges that his football career helped him in Hollywood and continues to help him.
3: Every president of every studio in Hollywood wants to talk to the football player so I could walk in any room I wanted. If you're an executive at a Warner or something like that, there's there's a billion writers and they're all good. They don't get excited unless you've done something interesting, unless you've either made a movie, or you're a rocket scientist, or you're a brain surgeon, or you're a football player. You have something interesting to say. Do
2: you love what you're doing?
3: Yeah, I I do. It is uh. Is this better than football? Um, it's different. It's not not better. Nothing's better or worse. It's better. There's days it's worse. There's days it's better. Um, I don't sleep a lot at night anymore. Like, last night was like the first time I've gotten like seven hours of sleep in a long time. It's not better or worse. It's, completely, it's a completely different set of muscles.
2: When he isn't working on Kulipari, recruiting investors, or hiring more animators, he's busy with his family. One of his daughters is a sophomore at Cornell, a nationally ranked tennis player. Another daughter is headed to the University of Washington to play soccer. His youngest child and only son is a natural all-around athlete who's already hitting a baseball
3: out of sight. My kids are athletes, and that kind of comes first. I go to Trevor's football practices. My daughter plays on a club team that practices from 830 to 10. I miss none of that stuff. The athletic parts of me and my family, that's what paid the bills, so therefore that is what drives us. I drive my kids nuts, and I'm my and I'm my my oldest daughter's tennis coach, and we go watch her play at Cornell, and I yell at her on the phone. And sports is sports is life in my house. But
2: nothing keeps him busier than running
3: a studio. I don't have time to buy a new car. Like, I don't have like be very careful what you ask for. I was like, oh, I'm gonna start an animation studio, and I'm there at six a.m. and don't come home till twelve. It's like being John Harbaugh; like you're there all day and all night. And I've learned a lot about people over the last 10 months, like last year. People and how running a business works. And as we grow and we keep like, I hire two more people today, the constant churn and the grind and, and everybody works on the weekends. I don't ask them to work, it's just we have crap to do. I'm trying to make a good example for everybody. I'm kind of like everybody's uncle. And I'm like, look, I'm an old man with gray in my beard. I know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? So. Doesn't always work around here. Doesn't really. (laughs) Uh, Or you could say, I made a TV show. Have you?
2: Trevor is a very busy guy. I'd like to thank him for coming to the castle to speak to me. You can find out more about his career at BaltimoreRavens.com slash what happened to that guy. The final episode of this first season of the podcast will drop in two weeks. The subject is Tom Zibikowski. He's had some struggles after football. I don't want to give everything away, but we had a raw and honest conversation. and He's back in the boxing ring now. Anyway, I hope you'll listen. This podcast and The Lounge, the excellent weekly podcast from my colleagues Ryan Mink and Garrett Downing, are part of the Baltimore Ravens Podcast Network. You can search for that wherever you get your podcasts. Baltimore Ravens Podcast Network. And everything comes up. This is John Eisenberg. I'll talk to you in two weeks.
1: You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack